This Week on Political Research Digest, the dynamics of congressional primaries and how parties fight back against insurgents. For the Niskanen Center, I'm Matt Grossman. 2016 brought a lot of change in presidential primaries, but mostly continuity in the House and Senate. We're now entering a crowded midterm primary season in a potential Democratic wave, so it's a good time to learn how primary candidates gain party support and how they win votes. A new book, The Party's Primary, Control of Congressional Nominations, published by Cambridge University Press, argues that party organizations and donor networks continue to decide the vast majority of primaries by clearing the field and providing support. I talked to author Hans Hassel of Cornell College about whether insurgents are likely to fare better this year. Pundits highlight ideological battles in each party and blame primaries for polarization. But Robert Boatwright of Clark University says that story is vastly oversold. I also talked to him about his Rutledge text, Congressional Primary Elections, and recent research on who votes, who runs, and who wins in primaries. Political scientists traditionally find that without partisan labels to use as cues, voters rely more on candidate characteristics. But Hans Hassel says parties still hold a lot of the cards. Parties uh, have influence in uh, primary elections that they're able to, to clear the field for preferred candidate and then help that particular candidate uh, succeed in, in a primary election. Parties win quite often in primaries for both chambers. In Senate primary elections, the party's preferred candidate wins about 80 percent of the time, um, and it's about two-thirds of the time in a, in a House primary. They're, they're about 40 50 percent less likely to drop out of a race if, if they have support from the party. Parties are even more important in races without an incumbent. If you look at um, just the subsample of non-primaries uh, without incumbents, you actually see a stronger effect of, of party influence. And that's primarily because you know, the, the, the candidates that are challenging party incumbents um, are these, these kind of quixotic candidacies that uh, you know, aren't really interested in winning. They're more interested in, in, in uh, you know, participating in the process and somehow. Uh, and so you actually, what you actually see is that you see a stronger effect in, in open primaries without an incumbent, that the party is you know, more persuasive at, at getting uh, the candidates that doesn't want out of the race. Hassel says the evidence for a strong party role better matches how professionals think about primaries. When I went to, to graduate school, I had just come out of um, working for a party organization in Minnesota. I got to graduate school, and, and my experience of the conventional wisdom among political practitioners was very different from the conventional wisdom that I'd seen, um, you know, in the in the in, in scholarship. Um, among scholars, the, the predominant view is that, that elections are are candidate centered. That it's what matters in these sorts of elections are the candidates' attributes, their past experience, their ambition, and you know what matters. That's what the sorts of things that matter in, in, in helping a candidate win the primary, and, and the, the party was you know, largely viewed as a as an as an entity that sat on the sidelines and waited for the nominee, waited for the you know, primary voters to, to decide who they wanted to support, and then it would get into the general election to you know to try to coordinate and to help a help a candidate um, be successful you know by by marshaling resources, and this was very different from from my experience um, working for a party organization, and I, I can remember periods telling me that, you know, if so-and-so calls, you know, don't, you don't have to get back to them right away. You know, delay, wait, wait a while. It's not that important. Whereas there are other individuals that, that you know, we had to respond to, to, to their calls and their inquiries um, quickly. Um, and so, and, and the party was, you know, very active in, 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 in trying to push out people that they didn't want in the race or they thought might be, um, you know, might make them vulnerable if, if the, that particular campaign were to win the primary. 
In the party's primary, he measures party-preferred candidates through shared donors, but it's just an indicator of broader support. In the book, I use a measure of, of shared donors with the party organization to, to kind of measure this party measure party support. I don't think that the only mechanism by which parties have support is through money, and so I I think that this this measure is probably is, is a proxy for a lot of other sorts of things that the that the party is able to do. Um, they're able to to, to funnel you know, good campaign staff to, to to candidates. In one case, a, a former National Party staffer told me a story about how one. Uh, one particular candidate came to the National Party looking for a, 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 a press secretary. And party leaders really didn't want this candidate to win because they were afraid if that candidate won, they would you know, be vulnerable in general election. And so they purposely sent that candidate the worst possible PR guy that they knew that was operating in that particular state and said, right, this guy should be your, 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 your press secretary. Um, we're trying to, to put a drag on that campaign. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's entirely money. Uh, money is the easiest way to, to kind of uh, the shared donors is, is the easiest way to, I think, to, to operationalize. He says parties influence both prospective candidates and voters. We do see a significant effect both on the, the, the influence that parties have at getting a candidate out of a race. Like I said, I think that the, you know, a roughly uh, a candidate without party support is roughly 50 percentage points more likely to, to drop out of the race. But it's a similar, right, once you get those candidates, uh, candidates that are competing in a, in a primary, uh, party support lends a, you know, it increases the likelihood of winning by about 50 percent as well. So it's, I mean, it's it's hard to, to 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 say exactly what percentages you know influence directly on the candidates, and what percentages you know the, the sort of resources that that they're able to to give these candidates that then help the candidate run a better campaign. It's true that the party didn't decide the 2016 Republican presidential primary, but there are a lot of differences in congressional races. Because the president is an entirely different, entirely different game. Um, when with that, with the House and Senate, you have a very clear hierarchical structure. You've got the the NRCC and the NRSC and the you know the, the DSCC and the DCCC on the other side, and they they all have you know very clear congressional leadership at the head of those organizations and you know, a very clear hierarchical position of power uh, to to try to influence you know indiv- other individuals to, to try to get in the line. You don't have that in the presidential side, and so I think it's there's some there's less there's less. Pers- Persuasion, um, you know, the, the bargaining power that, that uh, individuals might have to get a, a presidential candidate out of the race is, is much more difficult. Hassel says party leaders often have their own preferred candidates, but not necessarily due to electability. Parties prefer for moderate, moderate candidates, um, but they prefer moderate candidates largely in races where you know, the preference for moderate candidates wouldn't make a difference on the outcome. So they're preferring moderate candidates in, in races that are completely safe um, or completely unwinnable. Um, and so it's really, um, it's really it appears to be more of a sincere preference for moderate candidates. And that, and that leads us to another question too, right? So if, if we empower parties, the, the battle for control of the party apparatus then all becomes all the more more important um, and you actually do see you know a shift rightward after the 2000 2010 uh, election cycle in in the, the, the Republican Party's preference and so they start to prefer more conservative candidates uh, on in general you know after the just after the cycle where a whole bunch of Tea Party candidates are elected into office and, and start to have perhaps a little bit more influence on, on party leadership in some way but Robert Bowright says the ideological view of primary competition does not comport with most evidence. I'm kind of skeptical that all of the claims that have been made about uh, the effect of 
primaries on uh, the behavior of members of Congress, on uh, general election outcomes, and so on, are in fact accurate. I think there's a conventional wisdom that uh, we've acquired over the past few years that there is a, a primary problem, uh, particularly in the Republican Party, and that uh, extremists uh, are uh, putting putting uh, mainstream uh, incumbents uh, on their heels, as it were. I, I think that it, it's understandable that that perception exists, but it's based on a small number of anecdotes, and uh, it's not, in fact, uh, the reality of what tends to happen in primaries. Primary elections tend to be relatively low turnout affairs, and uh, for all the talk of uh, extreme conservatives, uh, for the most part, or extreme liberals in a few cases, uh, having an advantage in primaries, I think overall the data suggests that that's, that's not in fact true, that that is, is largely a media creation. He says ideological insurgencies usually have to pick their battles, rather than wage many front wars. The potential for organizations uh, such as the Club for Growth in particular uh, move on to some extent in the Democratic Party to use primaries for their own ends, that is, to make themselves look like they're really uh, players in elections. But that only works if they strategically pick a very small number of races, or right? one or two races that they're going to focus all of their attention on. So the average uh, congressional incumbent is not likely to be one of those one or two people. Uh, of course, if they are, then they face a very different uh, kind of campaign. But primaries can still affect incumbents if an elite narrative develops that they're under attack. The story itself can have effects. If you look at uh, Jeff Flake's decision not to seek re-election, if you look at the concerns that other uh, Republicans have had about the trouble they might face in the primary, again, that's not necessarily based on hard evidence. That's based on uh, good stories that have been told and uh, promoted. Uh, by ideological groups over the past few years. And those stories can persist, and those stories can influence uh, candidates' behavior, even if they're not, in fact, true. Boatwright says due to low turnout, primaries are the choices of consistent party voters. Uh, Well, most of the people who turn out to vote in primaries are people who are habitual party voters. Uh, They're not necessarily ideologically that different from the party. Again, I think there's a, a widespread perception that primary voters are more extreme uh, than uh, party regulars, but by and large, they're not. By and large, if if you look, for instance, at a year like 2010, where there was this huge Republican wave, by and large, the people who voted in Republican primaries were just the kind of folks who are habitual party voters. He saw no sign in 2016 of insurgent voters associated with Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders affecting congressional primaries. Looking at uh, 2016, I, I, I tried very hard in a couple of things I wrote to figure out whether there was any sort of Trump boost to a particular type of Republican candidate, and I really didn't see any. I think in 2016, the presence of Donald Trump and perhaps to a lesser extent of uh, Ted Cruz in the Republican primaries uh, had the effect of uh, bringing in a few voters who were different uh, than traditional Republicans. But I didn't see any evidence that that had any effect on uh, congressional races. In fact, it seems to have been, in 2016, a little bit the reverse. That is, that the presidential race kind of crowded out uh, the efforts of a lot of other uh, candidates on the ballot to establish uh, a base of their own. So 
At the moment, there's not really any evidence that Donald Trump actually helps uh, the Republican Party. The Republican Party has actually been on a roll in defeating congressional insurgents lately after a couple of bad cycles. Beginning in about 2014, the Republican establishment effectively started to uh, dampen the, uh, the Tea Party wave in primaries. In 2014, for the Republicans, for instance, if you look at the Senate, there were uh, five uh, competitive Republican uh, incumbent Senate primaries, and the establishment effectively beat back all of these candidates. Democrats have historically done better at limiting their fields, so it'll be interesting to see how they deal with the crowds in 2018. Well, the Democratic Party has perhaps done a better job than Republicans over the past few years of uh, limiting competition in primaries, which is historically unusual if you think about it, right? The Democrats have often been seen as the more, uh, the more fractious party, right? Uh, all these different competing interest groups and so on. Uh, but over the past decade or so, Democrats have seen less uh, competition and challenger primaries than is the norm. Democrats, I think, have cared a little bit more about electability. So if you look at uh, contentious Democratic challenger primaries over the past few years, by and large, all of the money went to one candidate. And so competition was uh, effectively reduced before the voters actually uh, had their chance to register their preferences. Again, I don't know that that's a great template for 2018, simply because there is such a large number of uh, declared Democrats, but I think the orthodoxy in the Democratic Party has always been to try to uh, do what they can to limit uh, primary competition and to uh, pull resources behind uh, uh, one particularly strong candidate. So this year will really be a test of whether the Democrats are able to continue to do that. So far, Boatwright does not see any party-defining races this year. Too early to say on the Democratic side. Again, there's an unprecedented, un, unprecedented number of uh, declared Democratic candidates, uh, especially in some kind of surprising places. Uh, so there will be somewhat more competition among Democrats. Again, that's to be expected given uh, Democratic anticipation of gains in the general election, but uh, to my knowledge, there are not any individual uh, Democratic House or Senate races that have really shown up on the radar as being that exciting. Uh, in the states that uh, Democrats, particularly in the Senate, in states where Democrats might have something to gain, you'll note that there are not any uh, Democratic incumbents, except perhaps for California, which is a safe democratic place no matter what there's not really any competition in democratic primaries uh, if you look for instance at arizona the uh, democratic uh, candidate there doesn't really have any serious competition if you look at nevada the other potential democratic pickup again the primary won't be interesting hassel says more candidates do not necessarily disrupt the party's key role i think that the biggest thing that happens is that you you get you no know, more good candidates uh, willing to run. Um, I'm not sure that it, I mean, it, 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 in some cases, um, it, it becomes, because you've got more candidates in the race, perhaps that may be a detriment. Um, you, you end up with more conflict. But I haven't seen any signs that um, 
that there's you know, an anti-democratic party sentiment in the same way there was uh, for Republicans in 2010, where even right, even the Tea Party would occasionally challenge you know a, a party preferred candidate because right, they weren't conservative enough or they weren't ideological enough or they were too establishment, and they don't you don't get the same sense that that, that that's happening among uh, among Democrats. And so- Still, Boatwright's advice to candidates is that they need an independent base. For Democratic candidates seeking to win primaries in 2018, I think more so than Republicans, they're they're really on their own, right? Their individual uh, fundraising ability, their ability to uh, raise money in their district, their ability perhaps to generate some sort of buzz among liberal donors uh, may ultimately determine their success in primaries. Hassel told me candidate messaging is a hole in the current research. I think there are, are good questions about kind of the formation of messaging uh, in, in primary campaigns, right? Uh, we, we, there's been a lot of work on kind of the, the, the choice of issues or the, the conversations that, that, that candidates have in a general election. You know, they often tend to, to speak past each other. Uh, I think it's, it would be interesting to, to, to look better at, 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 at the, the messaging and the, and the kind of conversations that, that, that parties have at that level, at the, at the primary election level. According to Boatwright, we're likely stuck with primaries, and the world is even copying our model. Primaries are beginning to spread to other countries. We're seeing things that look a little bit like primaries uh, being used a lot more in Europe uh, today, for instance. And I think what the American experience suggests is that once you let the genie out of the bottle, right, once you start telling people that primaries are more democratic, uh, people will believe this, right? And once once party elites sort of hand control over to the voters, there's not really any going back, right? You're stuck with primaries, and even if primaries wind up not living up to the objectives that you had or not yielding long-term excitement, uh, you're kind of stuck with them. There's a lot more to learn. Political Research Digest is available bi-weekly from the Niskanen Center. I'm your host, Matt Grossman. Please encourage others to subscribe on iTunes and read more at niskanencenter.org. Thanks to Hans Hassel and Robert Boatwright for joining me. Join us next time to find out who is protesting Donald Trump and whether the resistance is changing public views.